You're listening to the Improve Photography Podcast. A dream is just a great idea that doesn't have a website yet. Squarespace has been a great way for me to take my ideas and be able to take it to a worldwide audience. It's so fun when you start a website for your photography, for your business, or whatever it is that you want to talk about online, and you can take it to the whole world, and then you see as people in Australia and Austria and Germany and and the United States and anywhere in the world can suddenly access your ideas. That's what Squarespace is all about. Removing the technology so you can focus on publishing. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code IMPROVE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Improved Photography Podcast. I'm Jim Harmer, and I'm joined by Jeff Harmon and Brent Bergham. Hey guys. Hello. Hello. Well, we have lots to talk about. Uh, some updates to Lightroom um, that uh, work on, on uh, camera profiles. Brent, you are doing something interesting in moving from Lightroom to Bridge for how you're teaching yes. in your college classes, and I'm going to give some tips on cheap travel. So let's dive in. Brent, tell us about why you in your in your college classes you're you're teaching bridge instead of lightroom yeah well lightroom as some many of us are certainly familiar with there's just some nuances and some curiosities to it that i think are actually going to be easier for me to deliver in the classroom when i don't have to talk about those things most notably the whole idea of the catalog uh it's been in my experience where brand spanking new students when you're throwing everything at them uh, from the camera perspective to trying to be creative when you're shooting perspective to also the technical perspective of managing your files and then the layer that Lightroom throws in with the catalog. It's just a lot to handle for a short-term class like this. So I've decided to simplify life a little bit and go with a bridge Photoshop workflow instead of Lightroom workflow. Plus, there's a few things uh, in the networked environment because I teach in a computer lab Lightroom, most Adobe pro- products are problematic in licensing for the enterprise. And Lightroom is even worse because the catalog cannot reside <clears throat> anywhere on the network drive. So for them to have some kind of central account is useless anyway uh, when you're using Lightroom. So I've been fighting with that for a while. And then um, I decided this year, you know what? Lightroom bogs down unless it has like the perfect setup with a nice hard drive and all that stuff. It just bogs down anyway. And I've had students waiting hours sometimes to just import photos and that's just not a fun experience for them so it feels to me like though i mean it's going back a decade when everybody would use bridge and and lightroom is kind of what's next so um do you like are you concerned that by skipping lightroom that the the students are missing out on, on an opportunity to learn helpful software I don't think so because the processing engine is the same and when they're in the basic processing panel, they go to the other processing panels, those sliders are exactly the same. So being able to transition to that into Lightroom, they're going to be learning a little bit more when they finally go to Lightroom, rather than learning all of that in addition to what is this ISO, what is this aperture, because most of my students just have no clue what that is, and so we're starting from the very ground up. And so it's about setting something aside and saying, yeah, that's good, I don't want you to just 
you know, totally discount it because we're not looking at it in this class. I have two more classes uh, where at least my majors are required to take. So they'll be doing Lightroom in those classes. But for my broad class, that's to all beginners. I've decided this is going to be easier. And so far, I'm a couple weeks into it. So far, it's actually a quite a bit easier. My support, my tech support for issues with just working with the software and understanding the assignment has just been virtually eliminated. So Yay, I like that. When I have 49 students, I need that. <laughs> and that's a good point about the same processing engine. I had actually forgotten that. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't even opened Bridge in a long time. Uh, but it kind of makes sense why you're using it, just kind of a quicker way to get students started instead of learning a whole process for just you know sorting around through images. Exactly. And that's, that's really the key because they already, most of them are, well, about half of them are, are Mac users. So they're already familiar with how the Finder works and that kind of a thing. And those that are coming from the Windows world, it's not a big deal either to, to just understand how that's happening because we support the Mac system in, in my program here. And so to, to translate that to an enhanced Finder is really what, what Bridge is. Now, that's a really small step. Uh, certainly, we're still showing how to filter. So we can flag images. We can uh, star images. We're still going through that process. And they'll be used to that. And then while it's that part is slightly different in Lightroom, that's going to be a really easy transition. And then they'll be able to take advantage of the additional functions, whether it's the mapping function or maybe some of the slideshow functions that they want to be able to take advantage of. But otherwise, it's, it's going pretty good, and, and I'm really happy with how it's happening, how it's coming together. So would you recommend for our listeners, those that aren't, you know, haven't quite dived into Lightroom and, and mastered that anyway, do you think Bridge is still a valuable program? I mean, are they even updating it? Yes, they are. And the the thing really about Bridge uh, is Bridge itself is a separate component. Uh, you actually don't process in Bridge. You process in what I termed the other day in class in purgatory land, and that is the land between Bridge and Photoshop, and that is Adobe Camera Raw. Mm -hmm. So they're absolutely, whenever they come out with an update for Lightroom, they're Almost always, I've yet to see them not update Adobe Camera Raw. So uh, with what Jeff is going to talk about with these profiles, there might be a, some slight things where they haven't quite made it to Raw yet due to ACR. But when we're dealing with Bridge, you know that's actually a free program anyway. You can just go and download it. Oh, uh, it is? Get, you don't even have to have uh, and, Creative Cloud? You, you, my understanding is you don't even need Creative Cloud. Download the, the app, the little Creative Cloud app, and you can get Bridge. And then um, when you go to pay your money, of course, you get Photoshop and Lightroom. And so you can start even just playing around with it without having to um, invest any money. Uh, that, again, my understanding, I work with the enterprise system, so it's just all there. I get every single uh, product that Adobe publishes, but uh, I've, I have looked at it so I can talk to my students about it. And um, it's not something that they publish, like say, hey, it's free, but you know, they don't shout it from the rooftops, but it's available. But it's there. Huh. That's cool. I didn't yeah. even know that. Well, that sounds interesting. Now, you alluded to uh, the, Lightroom the Lightroom profiles. Um, I, I haven't taken a look at this. So, so what, what is the update here? So, yeah, let me, let me tackle that one. Um, Adobe released an update to Lightroom Classic CC to version 7.3 in beginning of April 2018. And there's uh, there's some performance updates, which are always very welcome, and they do seem to be there. Like my my testing of it so far, um, 
it's getting snappier. They're they're making improvements. It's kind of little bits at a time, so I wouldn't say like you're going to go, "Wow, this is so fast now," but uh, but little bits at a time. They they're they're adding improvements and, and making changes. So there's I heard things that under from the Tony covers. Northrup. Yeah, yeah. There's there's under the cover stuff that they're doing, especially to take advantage of the computer. So that that was kind of the biggest problem with the performance was they hadn't really done a good job of leveraging like multiple CPUs inside of a computer, which most computers have more than one, uh, often four, and Lightroom was only Wait, leveraging one. You really. mean in the cores? Or yeah, yeah, the cores that that are there in the computers. So. Um, so they, they weren't doing a very good job of it, and they're slowly making progress towards having a lot of the functions in Lightroom take advantage of the hardware that you're running, you have in your computer, and, uh, and it's, it's getting better. It's it's really good. But um, then there's the feature updates. So the, there's little ones like <laughs> the the uh, dehaze slider was moved up into the basic panel. Which is good because it was kind of hidden away before and lots of people had trouble even finding it. Didn't make sense really where it was at to me either. But So now it's right up front and center in the basic panel. So that's cool. doesn't change the functionality at all. It's just in a different spot. And to some degree, that's how it is with profiles too. That's kind of the biggest functional thing that changed in this version, uh, in this update. Um, profiles have been around for a really long time. But they were hidden down under like the lens correction area. Where you could, uh, and and I'm sure people have noticed this, if you've been a Lightroom user, as you load up your images, uh, initially you may see kind of a uh, one version of your photo, and then if you click on it or you go to develop module and you kind of zoom in or whatever, it like flips, it changes to look like it has different colors, it's it's uh, more drab. What's happened was Lightroom was using the J embedded JPEG preview before, which was stylized by the camera. And then it shows you the raw file, which is not stylized at all. And now you, the, it looks different. The photo doesn't look the same. And you, you could uh, kind of cover that up or, or make it so you got back to the more stylized version of the photo by going and applying a camera profile. But it was kind of hard to find. Uh, lots of people never knew about them. And, and a lot of people were just like, just don't worry about that. Just start editing your raw file and, and do with it what you want. Don't worry about the fact that it kind of looked different before. And now it, does, now it doesn't look as good. So what they've done is, again, they moved it up to the basic panel so that you have you can see the profiles right there. And now, d uh, different by every camera maker and model, you will have the true-to-your-camera styling that you have in camera. So you can choose uh, styles in your, in your camera between, this they call them like vivid or colors or black and white. They have different styles that you can apply to your photos in your camera. Now you can, you'll have those exact same styles very specific to your camera. So if you used a Canon camera and looked at, at what the profiles are available, they're going to match what your Canon says. And if you put a Fuji camera in there and or take a photo from a Fuji camera, it's going to show you the picture stylings that are available in the Fuji cameras so that it matches. And then that can be your starting point. That's kind of the intention of those profiles. Always has been. That's, that's not completely new functionality. That's been in there for, in Lightroom for a while. It just was kind of hidden and difficult to get to. But what's also new in this release, not only did they make it in the basic panel, they now have kind of some additional uh, base profiles that they include. There are, there's some Adobe ones, they have some creative ones, and people can now create profiles. So they're encouraging other creative 
professionals to go and, and create their own profiles and you can sell them and, or, or give them out for free um, and have people add that to Lightroom just like they kind of did with presets. But here's the difference between profiles and presets. With presets, it would change kind of how the sliders were working or how maybe you had a, a radio filter or a gradient filter or something added, and that could be part of the preset. It was what you did inside of the develop module with all the sliders and the tools would go into what made up a preset. So if you applied a preset, if you made any changes or adjustments to sliders before applying the preset, it was hard to make those be kind of relative to your changes. You, it, it changed a lot of the stuff that you may have done already mm -hmm. in trying to edit your photo. And there were ways to try to get around that, but it, it wasn't very easy to do. With profiles, it sort of functions like a layer on top of whatever you might do in the develop module. So you can apply a profile and then you still have full control over all of your sliders and all of your adjustment brushes and gradient fill, whatever it might be there that will to, to further make changes and, and have things um, look, look different based on that. Plus, when you apply a profile, you can also kind of a, apply the, um, the, the opacity of it. How much of that profile is being applied to your photo? You can reduce the effect the profile has by low, lowering it, or you can even increase it. You can go like above 100%. Um, and, and make it so it gets like crazy on how much it applies to your, your picture. So profiles is kind of the new thing that's, uh, that's pretty cool functionality. Another big change, you now when you float over the profiles, it shows you the effect of the profile full screen in the develop module. Ah, I wish they would do that with presets. They also did it with presets. Ooh, so you, now you, you made me that. happy. You, you have that on both presets and profiles that it's not the little itty-bitty thumbnail preview. Right, <laughs> you have yeah. like the, the upper left-hand corner to see how that preset or profile would affect the image. It shows it full screen preview. It, it also shows it kind of in the, the places, the grids where you select the presets or the profiles. It shows a small preview right there, a small thumbnail. So you can get a really good idea right off the bat just looking at this grid of what the presets and the profiles are going to do to your photo. And if you float over it, then it shows you in the main window, full screen, full sized, what that preset or profile is going to do. So you just float over it. So That's um, awesome. That's really, yeah, really, really nice. <laughs> it's really good. And it, so if you're stuck in a rut, if you, and that's, that's kind of what I think Adobe's going for here is uh, yes, we, we need to solve this problem where you wanted to be able to get the same styling that would be applied to, say, a JPEG that you shot on your camera to the RAW file. That was a core problem. That's why this is a, the profiling stuff has existed for quite a while. But now they want to make sure that this is a way that we can have kind of a, a creative thing that will help us to envision or see the photos in a whole different way, open up new opportunities or new ways of looking at a shot. If you're like... Especially if you're going into a shot, like, I just don't know what to do to this thing. This, the, both the profiles and the presets are now going to be a really great way to be able to see how you might be able to do something really different with your photos and how you're going to stylize them. Yeah, that's, that's really nice. Those are, those are some very solid changes. Um, I just wanted to comment on one of the things you mentioned about, um, about how when you're making changes to them that they aren't, that they're, 
adding that amount to so like let's say you take your slider halfway well do you want the preset to add five percent to that um, to what you've already done or do you want uh, your preset to erase everything you've done and then just add five percent and I, I think, and I know you were talking about profiles as well, but it works the same with presets. You can do it both ways. You can make it relative where it's just adding to or removing from the slider, or you can have it overwrite. Um, and the, the way that I like uh, to create a preset, well, generally, I mean, there, there are benefits to both, but I like a preset that erases everything and then adds the preset. And the reason that that the reason I like it that way for a general preset is because it will then if you click you know you click 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 try five different presets then each time it isn't adding more and more and more contrast or it isn't you know taking some of the settings right. from the previous um, the previous uh, preset and then doing some of the settings from this one um, so that's why I like it when they just overwrite everything. But some other presets, and this can also be very useful, I think both are, are valid methods, um, will, you know, you may have a preset that's add, you know, add contrast, and it goes and does kind of your general curves. Uh, well, you don't want it to overwrite everything else because the next preset may be pop the colors, and it pops the colors. So then you could kind of use them as kind of quick Additive. ways to change yeah. a bunch of settings instead of instead of a global change does that make sense it does the other challenge i have with presets though just overall there's sometimes that i shoot uh i shoot a very specific way because i know how the camera's functioning and i know i'm gonna it's the way i can get the very most image quality out of it so here an example not gonna go into the details why but i deliberately shoot my high school basketball photos two stops underexposed and that means presets are useless <laughs> because <laughs> because I first have to raise the exposure two stops and then if I apply a preset, it's they they off it's going to ruin what I'm I have to do in as I'm recovering uh, because of how I'm shooting. Well, and except so, except you could just make a high school basketball preset that has your I exposure could, right, already right. up but, and that would actually uh, make it way faster. Sure. Sure, and 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 I I do that well. So actually, I, I don't apply them because of how I want to make the workflow fast. You can't use presets on import to make the workflow fast. So, so uh, which is I just did a photo taco episode on that. If people are interested in in getting more information about that, but um, so so I like the profiles for that reason. I can go change the exposure. I can adjust exposure on the images I'm working on, and the profile is going to get applied. As a layer on top has nothing to do with any of my sliders, or any of the things that are done underneath it, and um, and it 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 just fits better for my own workflow and how it is that I I want to process my images. I'm really excited about the prospect of profiles, so that I know it's not touching any of my adjustments that I'm going to be making in any of the other panels. Yeah, that's way cool. I I'm excited for it. I haven't played with it yet, but it looks really really neat. Now, Jeff, you said that they're putting them in a different location. They're they're moving them from the calibration panel, is it? And where are they moving them to? Yeah, it's in the basic panel. It's now in the basic panel. Nice. Yep, they're right up All there, right. front and center. You can't miss them now. So it awesome. and Andy Hayes, they're they're really powerful tools, and it's a, I think it's a great thing. It's it's it, maybe they're finally taking some customer feedback. I think people have been saying move that to Hayes slider like crazy. Oh yeah, because they don't like going drilling down at the very bottom of the panels to to go find it, and now it's right up there in the basic panel. 
Um, so it's it's positive changes. Uh, there, I do want to give a caveat though. Um, I did I, I addressed this in the the recent photo taco too a little bit, but there are so as they do this change, they are making a change to how presets work. And there have been some issues that people, as people have upgraded with presets, especially presets they may have purchased, uh, that they're not converting to the new way presets are being managed. So the the way presets function hasn't changed a ton, but the management of and they seem to do this periodically. They they figure out that something that they chose to do in the past doesn't work for where they want to go in the future. So they have a way when you launch it, when you first upgrade, when you launch it, it, the first thing it does is go to convert the presets over to kind of the new management of how the presets are managed. And there's been trouble. There's been (laughs) some problems. Um, And they think it's associated with the naming of the presets, but they're not exactly sure. Uh, I've seen some photographers, some big name photographers, I've, I've seen posts from them saying, Great, uh, Lightroom's taking forty-five minutes to launch right now, and I don't know what's mm. going on. And it's because it's trying to do all this presets work, and and so for some people, it's really causing a problem. Sure. If if you are using presets a lot, you want to wait. You don't want to go upgrade yet because there's some challenges there. Adobe will have they'll they'll figure it out. They figure out what you have to do, how you have to go change them, um, so that, so that you don't have this problem. But if that's a big important part of your workflow, you don't want to upgrade yet. Oh, that's a good point. I, 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 I had, I did not know that. That's kind of, that's good information to know. I, I will say that with, like tens of thousands of people using improved photography presets, we haven't seen customer service issues mentioning this this week. At least I talked to to Jesse yesterday, and he said that we haven't had any, uh, any, any issues come up. Um, so that's that's good to know that that it's uh, that it can be. I, I wonder what it is. It's something specific with how they're named. Yeah, we have the, a similar naming indicator. convention, so maybe maybe we just got lucky. I guess. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. That's the suspicion. Is it has to do with how it was named? So. I wonder if it's you know using punctuation or something in title. Yeah. Sometimes that causes issues. Huh. Interesting. Right. Well, that, I I did not know that. Well, cool. Um, I, I have been a little bit behind on on f- checking up on on Lightroom and seeing what was new. So thanks for uh, giving us the rundown on that, Jeff. Yeah. All right. In the second half of this podcast, we're going to talk about how to do some cheap travel um, to for your photography adventures and hopefully getting something planned for your 2018 so you can go somewhere epic to take photos. Uh, but before we do that, we want to take a second to thank Squarespace for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. I've been a a Squarespace user for a long time, um, and there really are a lot of things to like about Squarespace. But for me, the main point of it is that I can get a very professional-looking website really fast. Um, It's that I can skip all the technical stuff, and I can just create my website. And if I want to get in there and tweak, they have a lot of really useful tools for doing that. Starting a website was something that very unexpectedly completely changed my life. Uh, When I started my first website, I was teaching photography at a little night school in uh, Florida, and suddenly I saw tens, then hundreds, then thousands, and eventually millions of people were coming to my website um, that I was writing just my photography tips. And so whatever it is that you want to share, whatever your business is, um, the cool thing about a website is you just get to open it up to the whole world uh, as a potential audience for seeing what you're doing. 
So with Squarespace's 24-7 customer support and beautiful designs, you can focus on the content. Head over to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code IMPROVE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com, offer code IMPROVE. All right, well... Travel is our second topic, our third topic, I guess, um, for this episode. Um, Brent, I know you do a lot of uh, travel for photography or have done a lot of uh, travel for photography and have some cool workshops coming up that I want to talk to you a bit about. Sure. Um, but I, I, I guess I was hoping to just kind of inspire people to, to just take a look at what you could do, maybe for a summer yes. adventure or, you know, what's possible in 2018. Um, so that you can, you know, just get out and do something. I don't know about you guys, but for me, when I look through my portfolio, like very few of them are from my own backyard. Most of them are when I was traveling and probably that's an excuse. You know, that's probably just not be being going out and being creative, but when you do are able to go somewhere, boy, it just helps so much to just see everything with a fresh set of eyes and be interested in it. Do you guys find the same thing? Yes. (laughs) To put it shortly. Well, I, I don't know. I think I do a pretty good job of finding out the spots around me. So <laughs> I wish I had your talent, Jeff. I, I wish I could do that. Uh, you know, when I was first starting out in photography, it was really easy, I guess, easier than I find it now to be inspired by the local scenery, which is unfortunate because it's still beautiful here. I live in the Walla Walla Valley, and people you know, from Seattle, Portland, Boise, they're always coming because it's such a beautiful historic valley. And I was known as the photographer of the, of the region. And I, in some circles, I still am. But certainly other folks like Nick and a few others have uh, certainly made a good presence as well. But I even published my own book of my pictures of, photog- of photography. Got my own ISBN and everything of the valley. And it's sold in a local bookstore. So there's still a lot of for me, a lot of that backyard photography is fantastic, and it's wonderful to um, have that history there. But currently now, I've got four children and, and a different job than I had back then. Uh, when I shoot, I have to totally schedule it in. I, it's not something that I can actually just on a whim go out and do. And so the local photography suffers because those whims rarely exist anymore these days. That's a good point is, uh, you know, maybe it's less about the location and just more about, you know, when you are traveling, well, you've, you've dedicated some time to really focus on photos. And so maybe, maybe that's what makes more of the difference. For me, that is anyway. And I don't want to characterize it as some kind of excuse for not shooting locally because there's oftentimes where I'm just like, oh, I wish I could go out or I wish I had the energy or, or whatever the case is. And when I was at the retreat, uh, some folks uh, learned that I live live just like two hours from the Palouse, which is the some of the most fantastic farmlands you'll gorgeous. ever experience. And you know how often do I get up to the Palouse? <laughs> I don't, which is a crime. But I'm looking at it, trying to get up there at least once this year. So we'll see how that works out. Yeah, I'm. I'm we're planning a little family trip. The the our school gets out june 1st and school oh, nice. doesn't get out in North, northern idaho until a week after that so we're gonna go hit the hit the water park while nobody's up there and we we Excellent. it's kind of become a yearly tradition and the whole drive is right through the palouse it's like you know oh yeah the only time you can drive eight hours and not mind is when you're driving there it's it's just there gorgeous go. <laughs> yes <laughs> yes 
Well, whatever adventure you want to set, you know, maybe it's just going out and going on a road trip or or just setting a place locally like you guys were suggesting, but that you can dedicate time to. But for me, it's always been about the travel and just uh, exploring a new place and just being excited by that. Um, and and we found some awesome deals on travel with uh, the improved photography readers over the years. The first time I went to Iceland with Brian McGuckin and 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 a few of you who are probably still listening, um, we went there for five hundred ninety nine bucks. <laughs> like Ooh, it was just crazy. That's amazing. And that included our international travel to get there. I think it included a rental car and our hotels while we were there. Oh, like. Wow, <laughs> that is so neat. My wife and I went to Costa Rica for 10 days. It included our international flight, 10 days of hotels, and our rental car. We paid $699 each. Oh. I was like, this is nuts. Um, and so it's just, I, to me, it's so fun to look for those kind of hidden travel deals and uh, take advantage of them whenever, whenever you can. And it may be just as simple as, you know, I'm going to whatever, go to San Diego this weekend. You know, you can find right. flights for like 47 bucks sometimes. Um, and, you know, hey, if you can go that, hey, I'll leave Friday after work and come home Sunday, right? <laughs> for for $47, if you get to uh, to do it, that's, that's pretty cool, I think. So I, I've been learning a lot. I, I, I've been learning a lot about how to find cheap travel deals. And I have to give a big shout out to a, a podcast called Extra Pack of Peanuts. Weird name, but it's a great <laughs> podcast, uh, Extra Pack of Peanuts. Um, and so a lot of the kind of tips I wanted to share here are from that, um, as well as a lot of things that I've learned, uh, just on my own. So, um, there are a, a lot of ways that you, that I've messed up travel. And the number one way is when I fall in love with a location first. Um, so for example, if you want to go to Tuscany, um, what most people normally do is they just go to Expedia, they look up Tuscany, and then they see, you know, when's the best time of year to visit Tuscany? Cool. All right. I, you know, maybe you check kayak.com too, and then you see you're off to Tuscany, right? Um, but if you do that, you're going to pay through the nose for your travel. I mean, I, when I went a few years ago, my wife and I, we paid way too much uh, to go there. And now I'm looking back and I thought, oh, if I had a different approach, I could have saved a ton of money on that trip. Um, so, but if you've already fallen in love with with a place, you say, I'm going to Tuscany, then, you know, you don't want to look at just whatever travel deals are available. You only have your eyes set on Tuscany, you know? And so you're probably just going to play pay standard fare for everything. Um, so... I think to me, the most helpful tip is to just, you know, make a list of all places that would be interesting. And, you know, if you want to get to Tuscany, great, plan that for someday. Uh, but if you just keep your eyes open to different locations that maybe you hadn't considered uh, considered yet, that's when you tend to find the really good deals. So uh, when you're ready to begin your search, uh, I like to go to Google Flights. Um, well, usually I'll go to Expedia and at least just do a, a search and just see what the kind of the standard fare is. Because uh, it's rare that I find like a killer deal on Expedia. Usually that's just kind of the standard normal fare. Is that what you guys find as well? Pretty much, yeah. I, I usually start with Expedia and depending on my destination, I'll go ahead and buy there. But that just gives me kind of a, a ground level for what 
maybe some of the most expensive affairs will be, but otherwise medium level affairs will be as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's easy. And I book, you know, if we're just road tripping, I usually use the Expedia app, just book. Um, but then you kind of know what the baseline price is that you can definitely get. Um, and you want to make sure to try signed out of Expedia because they sometimes try to get you. Um, but anyway, just check the standard fare and then I'll go to Google Flights. Um, so Google Flights is cool because they're searching tons of different databases for um, for pricing. Um, you know, they're not Expedia where their business is selling you a flight. You know, their business is search. They want you to be able to find the information you're looking for and buy it from wherever. But there's a secret part of Google Flights. This is really cool. Um, the only way to get there is to go to google.com slash flights slash explorer. That's the only way to access this page. If you just go to Google Flights and you click on explore, it's not really the same thing. Uh, so it's google.com slash flights slash explorer. And what that's going to do is you just say what your home airport is and just any, you know, you could pick a long period of months of, of when you want to go. And uh, then it's going to just show you what the best deals are. It's just going to give you ideas. So it might say, hey, okay, you're leaving from, you know, Boise in April. Well, I could get you to Iceland for this this price. I could get you to Dallas, Texas for this price. Uh, it's really, really cool. Um, and I like it. It's just kind of unearthing the, the best suggestions right there. Have you guys seen this before? I'm doing it now as you're talking. And... It was interesting. Before I went to the Explorer, I was looking for a flight to India because I'm hoping to go there. And they actually did show a better price, so I'll, I'll, I will look into that in a more detail. But when you're on this Explorer, it's definitely better to, when you're from, type in where you're, your home airport. But when you go to, something broad. Because like I, I typed in a very specific city in India, and it was just like one option. It was like, okay, that, that's not what Jim is talking about. But when I just type in India then I can get fly into Hyderabad and Kolkata and some of these other places, and it has all these different options showing up. So make sure you're broad on the two for your destination. Yeah, it's really yeah, I've used. Sorry, go ahead. I've used it before, too. Uh, we've done our family vacations. We kind of know the time frame, but we're uh, there is some flexibility, which helps, too, if you have some flexibility in when you're going to go and then the general area you want to get to. Then, then I like this. The, the problem with this is it's only information you see like right now as you're looking today. And so right. you'd have to like be vigilant to go like day after day or something to go go see where it is. There's an app that can help with that. Um, I'm a little hesitant to recommend it fully because it, it's been nagging me to death. Like I get <laughs> emails from them like crazy. and uh, Use a fake email so, address when you sign up with this one, folks. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah. So... But but here's the one that I use is called Hip Monk H I P M U N K. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. And what it's going to do is a very similar thing to what you're seeing here with Explorer, uh, Google Flights Explorer, but it'll do it for you automatically all the time, and then it will ping your phone, notify you, and like, hey, uh, this is the best price we have seen in six months on on this flight you're interested in, and you probably want to book it now. That's awesome. Mm, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Another kind of way to do that, it's not exactly the same thing, um, but it will, uh, the Google Flights Explorer will show you, uh, well, it's, it's just kind of a line graph here of, uh, well, I guess it's a bar chart um, of if you leave in this week compared to this week compared to this week, how the 
how the fares are rising and falling depending on, you know, when you go out in the future. But that doesn't mean that if you search again in six weeks, that won't change. In fact, it almost certainly will. So it's not quite the same thing, but you at least get an idea if there's a cheap month and an expensive month. Yeah, um, that's very cool. Yeah, so, okay, so Google Flights, google.com slash flights slash explore. And another one, now, I've never done this, but on this Extra Pack of Peanuts podcast, uh, they they talk about mistake fares, and I just keep hearing people who are saying they're they're getting them, um, and I, I haven't yet taken advantage of it, but if you're adventurous, uh, it's kind of fun. So there are a few different websites, such as theflightdeal.com, thefaredeal.com, and secretflying.com. And these will essentially um, just show you when there's a mistake fare, where a fare is just incredibly, incredibly nice. low. Um, and if you go there, like, you know, you go to go to one right now, go to theflightdeal.com, they'll, I mean, they're posting daily, sometimes multiple times a day of just, you know, you can go from whatever, New York to Patagonia, uh, really cheap right now. And you can follow them on Twitter, in fact, uh, if you're kind of a Twitter person. Um, and they'll just be posting this multiple times um, throughout the day. And so it's kind of cool. You know, they have here New York to Morocco and Spain for 400 bucks uh, round trip. That's nuts, right? That's completely crazy. Uh, so th those are definitely fun. But like, unless you live in New York, you're obviously going to have to pay for your travel to get to New York. And then you have the international travel. So whatever, you know, if you're close to there, you know, maybe you add 100 bucks, 200 bucks uh, to that. That's right. still an amazing price. Uh, but they're neat. I haven't used any of these mistake fares yet, but they do look cool. Have you guys flown on mistake fares before? Nope. I haven't, but I've I did something similar last summer. I flew a relatively new airline called Level, and they have expanded to a couple more cities here in the U.S. And I did basically the same kind of thing. I had a killer deal from L.A. to Barcelona, and I ended up using my air miles to get down to L.A. and because uh, it was worth it, it was like two hundred dollars or less one way. Uh huh. That's to get cool. to Barcelona, and then from Barcelona on to Croatia, it was only fifty six dollars. So to f to fly the cheap airline voiling, so it was uh, definitely worth it to kind of sort of I should say worth it to definitely route my way uh, that that direction. But um, when you have the the killer cheap fare, you know you start to look other ways and get creative with it. Yeah, another fun one that I have not done yet, but I I really should is, you know, often when you're booking flights, you'll see one that's like way cheaper if you take a whatever 10-hour layover somewhere. And, you know, normally that would just be incredibly annoying. But I, I have recently thought, man, why don't I look at that more? Because, you know, if I'm in New York and I have a 10-hour layover and it's anywhere near sunrise or sunset, which probably one end of that will be, like I could go out and shoot New York for a night and then come back to the airport. Like that would actually be really fun. And I've, I've never done that. I've never taken off on a layover. I've done that one time going through Hong Kong. I had 14 hours. That was pretty awesome. Yeah. Just to get out. Public transport is so convenient there. You just get out and see the city for a little bit. I think that's the first time I've heard somebody say, I had a 14-hour layover. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> and, I <liked> it. <laughs> and I liked it. That's right. Only because we got out of the airport. Absolutely. I just hate going in and out of security. That's oh, my that's biggest. The worst. Oh, I just yeah. hate that. So, 
even a 10 hour labor, like, oh, is it really worth it to go back through security? Yeah, yeah. And, and, I, I get what you're saying, but <laughs> sitting on your butt that long, oh, that's that's the worst. If it were yeah. international security, I'm not sure that I could do it. But if it's domestic, eh, that's all right. <laughs> um, now you Try mentioned TSA pre, huh? Yeah, I I have not done that. I every time I, I go to either. sign up, it's like oh, I don't want to spend a hundred dollars, and then and then you go to TSA and you're like, why didn't I spend the hundred dollars? Right. <laughs> Look at that line. Two people in it. I know. Uh, You've done it, right, Brent? It. Uh, not yet, but I will. It's yeah. on my list. So this summer it'll happen. I just I can't, I really can't do it right now, but it, this summer it'll happen. I'm going to go for the uh, the enhanced one, the global en- entry. Ooh, uh, fancy. And I have to go for an, in, in, yeah, I have to go for an interview. So that'll either be in Seattle, I think, or Portland. So I really have to plan that out. So that'll be the summer. Cool. Um, another couple tips that have been helpful for me is uh, to know when to book, how far in advance. And my general rule, I, I don't have data to back this up, but like what I've personally found to work best is if it's a domestic flight, book between four and seven weeks in advance. And if you're an international flight, to do 10 to 13 weeks in advance. Uh, often I've seen where I tried to book too far in advance, you know, three or four months and the prices were just really, really high. And then I looked when it was, you know, 10 weeks out and suddenly the price had just plummeted, um, even for just the standard Expedia fare. That's how I went mm. with my son to Japan is I had really wanted to get to Japan. And and so I'd looked a bunch of times for, for flights and it was always like, you know, 1200 bucks just to get there per person. And, you know, okay, they're flying you around the world. It's That's not so bad, but it's still a lot of money. Um, mm-hmm. And then I just waited. And then around Christmas time, I had looked and it was under $700 or it was, it was like $750, I think, per person to fly there. And it's like, whoa, I'm so glad I just waited. And so that's another yeah. one that like, as long as you didn't fall in love with, I'm going to Paris, um, then you have opportunities like that that you can just see what the deal is right now that might be a really amazing spot, even if it's not the number one on your list. That's so. another area where Hip, Hip Monk can help you, again, with the, like the weeks before, how far in advance. It takes all the guesswork out of it. You just It, it uh, knows like the previous costs of, of the ticket to now, and It'll, it gives you the recommendation like, yep, this is the lowest you're going to see it, so go get it right now. Nice. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to have to try that one out, Jeff. I haven't, I, I've, I've heard of that a couple times, but I've, I've never really tested it, so that's cool. Um, and then the, the last tip that I wanted to mention is just um, to use things like Groupon Getaways and Living Social Escapes. Those are just fantastic packages. That's how we got to Iceland so cheap It was that. And then all we had to pay was the little extra to get to a major international airport if you're not near one. So those have also been, been great deals. All right. In every episode, we like to give you the doodads of the week. What do you have for us, Brent? I have a simple item. It's the USB-C to HDMI cable. And the reason I'm doing that is because I have relatively recently acquired the new MacBook Pro that has the only USB-C ports. And I hate dongles. So rather than getting an H- a USB-C to HDMI adapter, which just gives you about six inches of cord and then you plug in your HDMI cord, I just got the whole new cord for roughly the same price 
and I can hook up my monitor, my secondary monitor, uh, directly into the computer without going through a dongle. Oh, very cool. Jeff, how about you? So I'm, uh, I'm always looking for really inexpensive ways to do lighting. <laughs> yeah. the, the, a lot of the lights that are nice, they're, they're, if you buy them out on photography sites, they're just so expensive. And um, so this is one that's it's just it's supposed to be just a floodlight for like outdoor use. It's even so it's even kind of waterproof, IPX sixty six rated. So, um, but it's called the Lepwer L E P W E R is the the name brand that's written on it. But on Amazon, they just list it as the one hundred one hundred watt new craft LED floodlight. Nice. So it's forty. It's forty bucks right now. It puts out 500 watts equivalent of a, a, a non-LED floodlight and uh, pretty bright to be able to add some constant lighting to a scene if you want to, or even to a house. It's, it's, uh, it's really nice. Works well. It's, it's uh, uh, daylight balanced, so it's uh, not going to add the yellow color cast that you might get out of a lot of, a lot of kinds of lights because it sells LED, and it's, uh, it's working out well for me, so 40 bucks. Cool recommendation. Yeah, it looks pretty I, good. I love the wild names of, of inexpensive <laughs> knockoff products on, yeah, on Amazon. Yes. It's like, didn't they, like, it's just funny that they don't test it with an American audience since it's being sold, you know? It's just right, funny. Right. Lepwer is funny. Okay. Yeah, and for 40 bucks, you know, hey. if it fails in, in a year, oh well. <laughs> yeah, and they can call it whatever they exactly. want for 40 bucks. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Well, uh, as I've mentioned a lot, I am not purchasing any photo gear in 2018, and I have been a good boy. I've done a good job. Um, We are into mid-April, and I'm still holding strong. So I will recommend a tool for your next photography road trip. This is the Alpine ILX 107 uh, stereo for your car. Um, and this only applies really if you're an iPhone person, um, but it's so nice. It's wireless CarPlay, so um, I, I've never really liked the uh, you know the entertainment solutions that come built into the car. Uh, it's always kind of a pain to get my music playing. Um, I and so anyway, um, I had the like the Ford Sync, and uh, it just always kind of bugged me. And so I put in this this stereo and it's so cool you just as soon as you turn on the car you can just keep your phone in your pocket you don't even have to plug it in and just wirelessly everything on your phone you can access right there so you can just press the siri button on the on the stereo and you can do it you know direct me to wherever timbuktu and it'll do the directions and it's using the maps you know from uh from apple there you can play your podcast right on it. Uh, it'll just show your little podcast app. Um, it's it's really neat. I, I like it a lot. Um, so that's the Alpine ILX 107. All right, that does Sounds it for good. this episode of the Improved Photography Podcast. Jeff and Brent, it was awesome talking to you. And listeners, thank you for your continued support of ev- everything we do. Uh, it means a lot to us. Bye. Bye.